Let's pray as we prepare to listen to the Word of God. Father, as we come, we, we come at a disadvantage. We are far removed from the, the time that these things took place. And yet, Lord, we come with an unbelievable window into these actual events. We come, Lord, with Your Word, authoritative, true. We come with Your Son as our Savior. We come then as those who are indwelled by Your Spirit, temples of Your Spirit. And we come then with eyes to see and and hearts to love and uh, minds given to discern these words and understand them and delight in them. Lord, think of all of these gifts You have given. We're so grateful to come this way. Father, we can come as Your children. We can come in confidence before You and ask even now, Lord, that You would use these words to affect us, to change us, to equip us, to make us more as You desire us to be made in the image of Jesus Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. Faith and forgiveness is what I titled the sermon. Faith and forgiveness. We're going to be looking at uh, the healing of the leper and the paralytic today. Let's jump in. This first half of verse 12 I titled Dead Man Walking. And I think you'll understand more of what I mean in just a minute. Let me read the first part of this. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. We're not told which city he is in. We are told that he is, in fact, in a city. And we'll see why that's significant in a minute. There came a man full of leprosy. Now, where we live, with the benefits of modern medicine and, uh, and all the advances, we just don't have much frame of, of reference for this, this, this word, leprosy. And so I want to give you kind of a crash course in the medical aspect of this horrible disease. And I was helped tremendously by Lois Siebens, who, incredible connection, her, she grew up on the mission field in India, and her parents helped to form um, some leper colonies there and ministered for the bulk of their ministry, right, over there among the lepers in one of the most significant and affected areas of the world with leprosy. And so she grew up right in the middle of all of this and helped me with an email and a book uh, that was written really about her parents and what they did in this ministry. Uh, It's an incredible thing. Um, Leprosy in the Bible could have, in fact, referred to a variety of skin diseases. Uh, The word wasn't used medically like we would use it now, Uh, referencing, for instance, Hansen's disease, which was the most severe form of leprosy. It was used as kind of a catch-all word. But when you see Dr. Luke use the phrase, a man full of leprosy, we're talking about a serious issue. This man, from head to toe, would have had uh, likely Hansen's disease, which is the most severe experience. He would have lost sensory in his face and limbs, um, so all of, the, all of those pain sensors, for instance, if you put your hand on a stove, you find out from your body in a hurry, that's a bad idea. That is gone. And so as a result, injury after injury would take place, and there just is no pain. And so these injuries are horrific, but the people 
don't realize. Many times they'll walk around with um, broken limbs or bleeding or wounds, and, and they don't even know it. Um, over time, especially on the face, um, the bone structure is affected, even internal organs are affected, and your face, they, some have referred to this as lion's disease because your face just becomes puffy and filled with horrible uh, wounds and, and issues, um, even to the point where, I, I mean, I looked at some pictures online and, and I nearly passed out. I can't even imagine the suffering that these people have gone through. This man especially, full of leprosy, uh, sometimes even your eyes would, would slide and, and just, I won't go into more detail, but disfiguration, massive. Um, many times lepers have only stubs left for their arms because their hands have literally been just wasted away and, uh, and, and feet disappear. Um, defiled, uh, one man referred to this as a painless hell. Just the, 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 the challenge of living this way. This man would have been mutilated from head to foot, uh, foul and rotting. Just remember, in this time, the medicine was not what it is now. In fact, uh, one of the things Lois was saying is a, a visit back after she and Tim were married to some of the places her parents worked, they were able to see some of these lepers who had, because of the medicine, been healed and were living fairly normal lives now. Um, and, and serving the Lord faithfully because of that gospel work. Uh, but in this day, the medicine treatment was, was awful to non-existent. Um, let's see, physically and spiritually unclean. They were both physically unclean and spiritually considered unclean. They were barred from worship. There was no ability to then deal with sin, sacrifice. None of that was open to a leper. Uh, they were unable to work. Uh, forced to beg. Many times they would be those beggars who would be calling out for help from a distance because they couldn't get close to people. A leper, if he was upwind from you, had to stay 150 feet away. Uh, if he was downwind, he could get as close as six feet, but no, no closer than that. Sometimes family members would stash food and, and supplies for them. They would hide that and then their uh, family member would come and know where to get that, and that's as close as they could get. They would leave supplies for them, and then he would come and receive them. Lepers were treated in the time of Jesus as highly contagious. While leprosy is, in fact, contagious, the view of leprosy in this day was just unbelievably scandalous and heightened. Um, they kept them far away from their family. They were scorned in many of this uh, People, people looked at lepers as being judged by God. And we know at least three different scenarios in the Scripture where God did, in fact, give people leprosy as judgment for sin. But like Job's friends, we cannot just case, you know, uh, generalize every scenario is, in fact, that way. Many times, it was not. It was simply this person uh, receives leprosy and they are thrown out, but they were treated as as if they were horrible sinners. It was illegal in Jesus' day to even greet a leper. Some would carry around rocks, rocks, so that if a leper was coming near them, they would pelt them with rocks and drive them back. Do you see this? Now, imagine in India, you combine the caste system, the untouchables, if you know any of this, this the history there, 
it to this day still happens. Uh, the caste system is racism to, to the core and then add leprosy in the mix. You can imagine what Lois witnessed growing up and her family as the gospel pierced the, the, the people who were at the farthest edge of the margins of society. These people in Bible times would have been there as well. To the rabbis, the cure of severe leprosy was viewed as, as difficult as raising someone from the dead. Um, this was not a common thing uh, to see this, this kind of curing. So we need this context because it's, it's easy for us to think, oh, he had a little rash, you know, the skin disease. No, we're talking this man was walking around like a dead man. And he might have preferred in, on many days to simply be dead. And he comes now to Jesus. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 gives us a little glimpse into the Israel uh, call of how they are to deal with leprosy. Once again, this contagious disease, God gave uh, descriptions on what they were to respond with. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes as a visible marker of their contagiousness. And there's to let their hair hang loose. Uh, they, they have to cover their upper lip like this and cry, unclean, unclean, everywhere they go. If they see someone from a distance, they have to, from a distance, make clear, unclean, unclean, so that people stay away. He shall remain as long as he has the disease like this. He is unclean. He is to live alone. He is to be outside the camp. Now, if you have studied the book of Hebrews and you see that phrase outside of the camp, you see the connection to Jesus who met us outside of the camp. He met us there. He didn't wait for us to come to Him. What an amazing thing. Just a window into this. So, humiliation and isolation would have summed up the existence as a leper in this day. Um, we're not sure if there were any leper colonies uh, that existed in, for this man to, to be a part of, but for the most part, it would have just been, he's on his own. Nobody touches this man. No one. So, we have a little bit of a backdrop. I also want to draw just a bit of an illustration here and point out how similar leprosy is to sin. The spiritual reality of sin is very much like leprosy. We are infected as sinners head to toe. We are marred by sin. That which is the image of God in us it becomes defaced and defamed and, and twisted and turned. And uh, we are totally depraved. There is nothing of us left untouched by this horrific reality of sin. We go about in rags trying to hide it, thinking that works will somehow be enough. They are simply filthy rags. There is no cure. The sinner cannot save himself. He needs cleansing. Okay? So have that in the back of your mind as this man comes to Jesus. The leper came into the city crying unclean. The fact that he came into the city at all would have been a big deal. He hears that Jesus is in this city somehow or another, and he comes into the city where Jesus is. He would have been young. This would have caused a stir. What's he doing in the city? Unclean. Unclean. Okay? So 
the commotion, people reaching for rocks. Stay away from me, man. Don't you get close to me. Now we come to this verse. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What a fascinating expression. He falls on his face into the dirt, face down. And with his face down, he says these words. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What's Jesus going to do? Uh, Jesus is healed. He's done pretty incredible things. But, but this guy is far gone. He is, he is a shell of a man. He is head to toe, full of leprosy. I would call this man's approach incredible. If you will, you can make me clean. It's a statement of faith. See what he's saying? This man comes to Jesus. He seeks him out. He does what he is not to do. He comes into the city, and then he falls on his face in humility. And he declares his faith in the identity of Jesus. This is who you are, I believe. If, if you want to heal me, to cleanse me, you can do it. I am confident of that. It's an interesting plea because it's a statement of, of fact. It's not really a request. This man does not come with a chip on his shoulder, angry. Haven't I suffered enough? Do you not see my suffering? Look at people. Flee and run. Why would you do this to me? He doesn't come that way. He doesn't come with this prosperity gospel garbage. The name it and claim it. Hey, listen. I'm going to claim this one and you owe me. You, you, you des I deserve what you have. Bring it. I claim it. He doesn't come commanding Jesus to do anything. He comes and he simply says, I know you can, if you will. Wow. That is a very insightful approach to the sovereign King of Kings. Now the healing touch. <laughs> this is just amazing how Jesus responds. I think the entire city would have stopped. Everyone would have been tuned in. First of all, they don't want to get leprosy. So they're, they're steering clear. But then they see this man close to Jesus, probably six feet away. That's about as close as he could be on his face. What's going to happen? What will Jesus do? The other rabbis have rocks in their hands. How will Rabbi Jesus respond? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus does the unthinkable. This is immediate healing with a touch. 
Now, just pause here and consider. When was the last man, the last time this man had had anyone touch him physically? No hugs, no kiss from his wife, no come here, children, sit in my lap. Nothing of that. For a long, long time, this man had lived in isolation with absolutely no physical contact. And Jesus reaches out and touches the man. This is, this is completely unthinkable. For all those watching, their conclusion would instantly be, Jesus is now a leper. He is going to be unclean. He signed his death wish. But something happens. He speaks these words, I will be clean. And the man is healed instantly. Now, we have to understand what this would have visually been like to witness. I, I want you to, to imagine a man who is marred head, from, head to toe. He's, he's laying face down. Jesus reaches down and he touches him and he is healed immediately. It is not just... Um, that some scars are healed up and no longer bleeding or sore. It is the creation of new facial features. The restoration of limbs. Like he might have actually had a new hand happen. Right there. All of the holes and the, and the pits and pots of his skin over all of these years. All the wounds. Everything inside and out is healed. Totally. In an instant, <laughs> this man stands up with a face brand new. To, to witness this would have been like witnessing the calming of the seas. We're talking major transformation. Like witnessing the raising of a dead man. He stands up and he is a new man. Amazing miracle that Jesus performs. Jesus has some words for him. In verse 14, I, I call this section restoration and celebration. He says, uh, I charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof. Jesus shows regard to the Levitical law. Uh, he's not there to, to buck the system. He's there to prop it up. And so he says, listen, there's something that you need to do. First of all, I want you to not speak of this. I want you to be quiet about this. Second, I want you to go to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as the law commands in Leviticus 14. Well, why would Jesus tell a man who has literally been born again physically to not say a word? I think we've got to enter in a little bit to understand the dynamics of what's happening. Jesus has become so popular. The crowds have become so big that it is beginning to hinder his ability to do the ministry that he is seeking to do. The crowds are becoming a, a, a problem. And so as Jesus does some of these healings, he encourages, be silent, be quiet. Don't, don't talk this up. This is us right here. Just the opposite in the Great Commission. Right? Go and tell. This one is, be quiet and go show. We learn in Mark chapter 1 that the leper really had a hard time with this. 
<laughs> he didn't do so well keeping his mouth shut. In fact, he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. He caused such a ripple effect through Israel that the crowds and the response, people were completely astounded that this man was healed. And it made it very difficult for Jesus then when entering a city. It, it, was, it was nearly impossible. Okay? Now, just a, a couple minutes on this go show yourself to the priest. Let me give you a crash course from Leviticus 14 on how this would have gone. This is the kickoff of eight days of sacrifice and celebration. It would begin as the leper came to Jerusalem and was examined um, outside the camp, so outside the city. He would have to arrange to have a priest meet him there, and the priest would bring two birds. Once he confirmed that, in fact, the man had been cleansed from his leprosy, he would offer uh, one of these birds with all kinds of interesting things over running pure water. And that was a symbol of the sacrifice that this man has now been made clean. The other bird would be released to fly away which is a depiction of the atonement and the release. It's like a scapegoat that you see in Leviticus. And then he would be pronounced clean by the priest, which this priest most likely would have never, ever done this for someone who was so severely uh, infected as this man. Then he would have to shave, and he would have to bathe, and he would have to have his clothes cleaned head to toe. He would be introduced to his family and friends for a seven-day celebration. Can you imagine leaving bread for your father year after year after year, catching glimpses of him from a distance, getting worse and worse and worse, and now he walks into your home totally healed? This would have been like receiving a man back from the dead. They celebrate for seven straight days. Everyone would have joined in with this. It would have been a huge uh, event in Jerusalem. On the seventh day, in preparation for the eighth day, he had to be shaved again, head to toe, and bathed and prepared. And the whole display of this for the eighth day was a picture of new birth. So they would even shave his eyebrows. Every bit of hair on his head was shaved. And it was, it was a display as if, as if this man had been born again. Fascinating. This is Leviticus 14. Think of this. The connection between leprosy and the reality of sin. On day eight, three lambs were offered. A guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. Each lamb, a picture, a pointer of Jesus, the lamb. Right? Each one. And then this man would have blood taken from these sacrifices and the priest would wipe blood on his right earlobe, on his right thumb, and on his right big toe. And you say, okay, that's sort of interesting. What does that mean? This is what it symbolized. Go now, you who have been born again, and listen to the voice of God. Serve Him faithfully and walk in His ways. And in that, he would then be invited into the faith, the practice, the worship, the sacrificing, as he was originally. This is incredible. Leviticus 14 points to Jesus, the fulfillment of every sacrifice. New birth is in view. Now, prominence in prayer 
we move from this amazing interaction to Jesus trying to uh, address this increase in his renown in the area. His prominence has grown and his prayer is increasing. Verse 15, But even now the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And here we see it again. But he would often withdraw. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So you get a little glimpse here into the priorities of Jesus. He did not come simply to heal people of physical ailments. Now he did that a lot. But those were displays of his identity, his power, confirmations of his authority to do so. He came to preach, to proclaim. And as these interactions increased and more and more demands were placed upon Jesus, he found a greater uh, purpose and practice in withdrawing. The other thing I think we see here is a dependence. His dependence upon the Father was perfect. Never forget that. Jesus perfectly depended upon the Father and he drew upon the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. In fact, I agree with Uncle Bruce when he says that part of what Christ did in His incarnation was, it was setting aside the use of His divinity. And I think that is accurate. He humbled Himself and laid aside the use of or the practice of His own divinity and power. And in this display then is showing what it looks like to be filled with spirit power. The Holy Spirit. He is depending upon the Father, drawing upon the Spirit, such that these healings are taking place as, as a channel through the power of the Spirit in Him, showing a perfect example of what it will look like for us. He is the first fruits. We depend upon the Father. We look to the Son. We draw upon the Spirit. It's an incredible thing. Jesus, more than ever, enjoys this intimacy with His Father and needs it in His humanity. He needs this. He, he, he needs times to get away and be there with the Father. Now, Tenacious Faith, 17-20. through 20, Let's read about the paralytic. This is an incredible display. On one of those days when he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. That's a display, I think, of what I just mentioned about the Holy Spirit. God delighted to, in a special way, pour him, Himself out in power through the Spirit in Christ in this interaction. And Luke draws our attention to it. We know from the other Gospels that we're back in Capernaum now. I don't know if we're in Peter's house, but it, it suggests at least it's a large house, a well-established house, a place where there, there was a big enough room to gather a number of people and the crowd here today is a little different. We're introduced for the first time in this gospel to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Okay, so just a little bit about this. It's packed in the house. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, they, are, uh, they were middle-class businessmen, leaders of the synagogue who esteemed personal piety uh, and the Old Testament very much. They held in high regard the Old Testament 
but they gave, this is where it went wrong, they gave equal authority to the oral tradition. Over 600 plus oral tradition laws that they added to the Old Testament as we know it. And so they, uh, they took very serious uh, these things, but, but really they went wrong in this uh, giving equal status, much like the Catholic Church to this day, right? You give equal status to Scripture and tradition or the Pope, you got a problem. And the Pharisees erred here in a big way. The scribes, or the teachers of the law, were also students of God's Word who transcribed and wrote commentaries on it. And they were often associated with the Pharisees. In fact, many of the scribes were Pharisees, um, but they as well added many man-made traditions to God's law, which is one of the reasons why Jesus takes them to task over and over and over. Okay, so we know who's in the room. I just think it's important for us to note this. Jesus is not just the backwoods preacher. Okay, Jesus is not just the, uh, the fisherman and blue-collar guy. The people here in this setting, in this place right now, he is reaching the upper crust. These were movers and shakers, guys who wrote laws, the teachers. This is the upper crust, and he is with them too. And he is teaching them too with authority. He's blowing their minds. This should remind us that it's not just Jesus who loves those in the margins. It's a Jesus who invites all to come, rich or poor, slave or free. And he meets them all with the truth of who he is. Now, behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, maybe one of the reasons is because the room was filled with Pharisees. Okay? We're, we're, hey, we're in here, man. Keep that stuff outside. We got Jesus now. It's our time. You stay outside and wait. Well, that wasn't good enough for these guys. Because of the crowd that could not get in, so they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, these verses, I wish we could just act this out. This would be an incredible thing to, uh, to, to try to envision. Jesus is in this house. It's crowded. It would be warm. And he is teaching away. And they're interacting. He is teaching. He's asking questions. He's, he's basically blowing these guys' minds. And all of a sudden, a little dust starts to fall. You know? And some Pharisees are like, what's going on? And then a little more. And then some debris comes down. What is going on? And then one of these dudes sticks his head through the roof. Yep, right spot. Okay, keep digging. They are literally ripping the roof open on the top of this man's house. It maybe was Peter's house. We don't know. Um, but whoever lived there might have been like, um, qu question, you know, when it rains, what are you going to do there? That wasn't a concern. This is a resolve by what I would say five men. Yes, the paralytic, but he has four friends who show tenacious faith. These men together, I think, we learned that there's four from uh, the Gospel of Mark, four other guys helping this man, and they are willing to go to whatever degree they need to to get this man in front of Jesus. They will stop at nothing. 
If it means tearing a wall down, they'll do that. If it means ripping the, the roof open, they're going to do it. And they find a way to, to lower this man. They've got some ropes now holding this. If, if you have a paralytic, you know, he's holding on as best he can. But hey, this is dangerous. You could drop the guy so easily. They go for it. And at some point along the way, as he comes down through the ceiling, I think Jesus would have stopped teaching. And the Pharisees were forced at this point to clear a space for this guy at least to land on the floor in front of Jesus. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Uh, these moments are incredible. Every eye is on Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Hmm. Oh, that's a different one, right? Did you see that coming? Neither did they. He saw their faith, not just the faith of the paralytic, but his friends as well. The, the extent to which they were going to get this man in front of Jesus. And his response is to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. Now we've got to remember again, don't reduce this to just Job's friend stuff, okay? We cannot just conclude this man is a paralytic because he's judged by God for a sin. Maybe, we can't remove that possibility that maybe God has done that because of that, but it's far more likely that this man is a paralytic as a, a result of the, the fall, the consequences of all of the mess. And here he is before Jesus. But he is there as a sinner too, like everyone in the room. Jesus speaks to this man's greatest need. His greatest need, far more than being able to stand up and walk, is to have his sins forgiven. The same is true of the leper. What is the leper's greatest need? Forgiveness. This is the healing of Jesus' mission. This is the whole focus of His ministry. This is the cross. This is atonement. This is victory over sin, death, and hell. Now, I confess, at times when I'm reading in the New Testament, and I see the Pharisees, I don't know why, but I kind of, they kind of sound like, uh, you know, those mobsters from the East Coast, you know, maybe in Boston. Hey, who's this guy I think he is? Yeah, I don't know why. You ever get that? No? Okay, it's just me. Hey, well, who's this guy I think he is? What's going on here? Can't say that. This is fascinating. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, hey, who is this? Speaking blasphemy. Who can forgive sins? But God alone. Now, here, we, we, we'll see it in a sec. They aren't saying this out loud. They're saying this in their hearts. No Pharisee or scribe has uttered to speak a word at all. They are thinking this inside. And that's the question they ask. Who can forgive sins but God alone? If I were to walk up to Glenn and say, Glenn, um, 
I forgive you of your sins. What's the context of that? Well, if Glenn sinned against me, that, that, that makes sense, right? I forgive you of your sins. Here's the thing. What if we're talking about something more than that? What if we're talking about Glenn's sin against God and I come to him and say, I forgive you of your sins? Well, who? I, I don't have the right to do that. You see what they're saying? This is their point. Only God can forgive sins because ultimately sin is against God. It is a valid question. <laughs> Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus basically is like, exactly. That's my point. Now, listen to his words. Forgiven and set free, verses 22 to 26. Forgiven and set free. When Jesus perceived their thoughts. Miracle. Right there. Miracle. He's, through the Spirit of God, he is reading and hearing their questions in their hearts. They haven't said a word. He perceives their thoughts, miracle number one, and then he answered them. Uh, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? How would we answer that? Well, obviously the first, because how are you going to prove it wrong, right? Anybody can walk up and say, hey, your sins are forgiven you. How are you going to know? And Jesus is like, I'm going to give you a little glimpse here into what just went down. Because in reality, Jesus forgiving this man's sin was far more difficult. It involved the cross. It involved His mission. It involved His life, His blood, His death, His resurrection. So he gives them a window to witness his power. And he says this, that you may know that the Son of Man, here's the first use of that phrase. It'll happen again and again throughout this gospel. It's one of Jesus' favorite terms of, of referring to himself. That, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed right there in front of him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And, I love this word, immediately. It's one of the favorite of the gospel writers. Immediately, he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been laying on and he walked his way through the, the crowd and went home. He was glorifying God every step of the way. Amazement seized them all, and the whole room began to glorify God. They were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things this day. Or as Mark described it, they were saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is extraordinary. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And then he proves it. Wow. Jesus has basically said, I am God. <laughs> and, and then proven it. I'm God. Oh, says Jesus, the Son of Man, which is this incredible 
hypostatic union, this, this truly God, truly man, bringing together in incarnation the second member of the Godhead. He is God. And He is the Son of Man. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Now, our response this morning. Just thinking about this and uh, that phrase, Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. We have witnessed two men desperate who place their hope on Jesus. We have witnessed six men with tenacious faith to do whatever they needed to do to get in front of Jesus, the four men and their paralytic friend, and the leper who fell on his face. This is faith, friends. This is faith. But I want to make this point for us all today. In a world where this, for some reason, is not clear, we need to make this clear. Our faith is not blind. It's not blind faith. We don't simply just decide one day, yep, I'm going to trust Him. Oh, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to, I believe. No. We believe in Christ. It has a focus. It has a focal point. It's His face. It's Him. The One who is. Our faith is fixed on Christ. We run the race called to keep our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter, finisher of our faith. So, friends, today, whatever, whatever you're dealing with, turn to Him. Turn to Jesus. Cry out to Him. Run to Him like a leper like a paralytic, get help, get me there. That's where I need to be, with Jesus. Confess your sins to Him. Trust in Him. Cling to Him. Worship Him. Treasure Him. Obey Him. Walk with Him. And rest in Him. You see, this is faith. This is faith. Day by day by day by day until we see Him face to face. Let's pray. Lord, we exalt your glorious display. We make much of you as we have witnessed these incredible displays of your power. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to open eyes of the blind, to set free captives, and in this, to bring freedom for those who are oppressed and cast down. Lord, we thank You that You were willing to meet those at the extreme edge of the margins and those right in the middle of the page to teach them to proclaim Your deity and Your power and Your purpose in their midst. Thank You, Lord, that You don't wait for us to qualify, but You meet us. You meet us where we're at. Guilty, vile, mutilated by sin, head to toe, infected, trying to hide our disease with filthy rags of righteousness that amount to nothing before You, and You meet us. And we cry, if You will, You can make me clean. And Your response through Jesus is, I will 
Oh, Father, what good news that we can be clean, forgiven through the precious work of Jesus. Lord, we give praise to You for these things that we've witnessed today. And we honor You as Lord. We pray that we would be like the leper or like the paralytic and cling to You, trust in You with tenacious faith. Go to whatever measures we need to go to to, to, to draw our heart to You and hold on with all that we owe. You have promised if we seek You, then we will find You. Lord, if there be any in this church today who are seeking You, I pray that in Your grace You would open their eyes. We know, Lord, that You stir hearts and You draw. I pray today would be a day of life and freedom and forgiveness and repentance and victory through faith in Jesus. Amen. Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. I will be clean so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Friends, we will share forever with these men. That leper who was remade by God's grace, that paralytic who was forgiven and made to walk, think of this. Someday, when we walk through the streets of heaven and come up to this man, Hey, tell me your story. Oh, I got a story to tell. And so do you. And you. And you. Good Shepherd Community Church, may you go this week like lepers cleansed, like paralytics made to walk because you are forgiven and free by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Go in peace.